What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Movement Podcast. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are staying safe while dealing with this whole corona situation, while dealing with Rona, old crazy girl Rona. This is going to be the first of many weekly devotions that we're going to be posting on this podcasting feed for the purposes of encouragement, to uplift you, to challenge you during this difficult and unique season. Don't forget to check out our Instagram and our Facebook to stay up to date and to stay connected with the movement students. COVID-19. This is unlike anything I have ever experienced in my life. And I know it's unlike anything you've ever experienced in your lives. But I can't help while watching the news coverage, reading articles, seeing the videos being posted on social media, I can't be the only one thinking, I'm in a zombie movie. Like, I'm living in a zombie apocalypse. Like, any day now, I'm expecting them to release an updated list of symptoms that include shortness of breath, dry cough, fever, you think brains are scrumptious, you have this uncontrollable urge to walk with your arms straight out from your body, you always sound like you're being caught mid-yawn. I, there's no way I'm the only one looking around and being like, this. I've seen this move before, it doesn't end well. And I know I'm not the only one that has made this comparison point, because I know how popular that zombie genre is. Millions and millions of dollars being made by movies, video games, even books centered around the theme of a zombie apocalypse. And as strange as it sounds, that, my dear movement students, is exactly what I want to talk to you about today on this podcast, Zombies. Now, firstly, I want to make sure you know I'm not downplaying this situation in any way, shape, or form. This is a very big deal, and I'm praying for, for the people that have to make the decisions about this situation. I'm praying for our, our, uh, those that are in the medical field that are working to try to resolve this situation. So this is a very, very big deal. However, I can't ignore the fact that it does look an awful lot like a zombie movie. And for those who may not be as knowledgeable or familiar with zombie culture, let me explain a few things about zombies to you for a second. One, what does it mean to be a zombie? What is a zombie? Well, a zombie is defined as a being that responds to stimulus as a person but doesn't experience consciousness. Zombies are weird, first of all. They're like really strange and they're gross. Um, But zombies have no identity. They have no sense of self. They've lost everything that makes them them. There's no like Bill zombie or like Ted zombie. There is a Rob zombie, but that's a... He's, that's different. Like, that's not the same. He's not the same kind of zombie. Like, he's not like a zombie zombie. He's like a person named zombie. Zombies find themselves uh, no longer able to move or act on their own, but they just get lost in a crowd, mindlessly pursuing the same thing. They lose any sense of individuality. They're only as strong as the group they're a part of. They, they have no sense of self. They can't break away from a crowd. They simply follow it. Zombies have no brain activity. They don't have hopes. They don't have dreams. They don't have a consciousness. They don't have have any of the things that, that make a person a person. They're unable to think for themselves. All they can do is follow basic instinct. They can't process information. When their body tells them to feed, they feed. When their body tells them to walk, they walk. All they can do is follow after their instincts. What their body wants to do, they just do it. They live for nothing more than that physical impulse. 
And zombies move. They're mobile, but they're, they're still dead. They can move from place to place, but they're without a heart. They're without vitals. They just go through the motion, seeming like they're living, but they're not actually living for anything sustainable. They move only to pursue this lust and instinct of the flesh, but they're not alive. They don't live. They just move. And they're always decaying. They're always rotting. There is no life within a zombie. There is no growth within a zombie. They're slowly decaying, only getting worse. There's never like a zombie that, that gets better. I mean, unless you have like a vaccine or something, but that's very few zombie movies actually end with, with people getting like a vaccine. And they're like, I was a zombie and now I'm not a zombie anymore. Yay. They're always decaying. They don't get better. All they do is pursue the lusts of that, of that flesh. Meanwhile, their own flesh just continues to decay. Now, I'm not really comparing this outbreak of COVID-19 to a literal zombie apocalypse. Obviously, I'm just being silly. But the more I begin to think about this idea, the more I realize it doesn't take a virus to make zombies because many find themselves becoming a part of this metaphorical army of the undead every single day. No, they don't eat brains. Gross. They don't raise from the dead, but they do find themselves in a very zombified spiritual state. They lose their identity. We can fall into the trap very easily of allowing ourselves to be pressured by the ideology of this world. And that ideology then clouds our minds and we begin to lose our vision of who God truly created us to be. We begin to lose our own identity that we found in Christ. We begin to find that identity in the world, in the crowd. And when we do this, we, we become what, what the writer of Proverbs 29 and 18 was talking about, where he says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So that word perish doesn't mean just to die. It doesn't mean just to not exist anymore. It, it's more specific than that. It means you become completely unrestrained. You become loosened. You, you, you're just let go. You have no control. You totally lose your way. So what the writer is say, saying in this verse is saying, if you have no vision, if you have no remembrance of your identity, if you don't know who you are and what you're living for, you just become unrestrained. You totally lose your way. When we lose that vision, when we lose that identity, we begin to identify with the things of this world, the things that we can see, the things that are around us. And no longer having that moral compass and, and we no longer have our idolatry dictated by the word of God, but rather we begin to let our, our, our moral compass and our ideology be dictated by the systems of man. And we see it all the time. We, we have people identify more as a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative or, or, you know, black or white, they identify more with that than they do with the word of God. They're an American before they're a Christian, or they're a white man or a black man or a Republican or a Democrat, or they're rich or they're poor before they're a Christian. And we can find ourselves fitting in better with the demographic demographics of this world than we do with the demographics of the kingdom, because we're finding our identity in the world. We've lost our vision. We've lost that everything about me should be lined up with the word of God. The Bible should be a mirror and I should be able to look at the word of God and see the reflection of my own life. And if I don't, then I need to reevaluate how I'm identifying myself. What identity am I taking on? Am I taking on the identity of, of a political party? And now because I've taken on the identity of a political party, all the morals, all the ethics, all the ideologies of that specific political party I now take on all of that because that's what I'm identifying with. 
And the problem is, and those of you who know me know, I'm, I'm not very political. I like to know enough to make informed decisions as I think you all should be, but I don't find my identity in political parties. I don't look at a Republican party or a Democratic party and say, these are the people I want to line myself up with. These are the identities. These are the values I find. I don't do that because there are plenty of people on both sides of the aisle that are ungodly people. It doesn't matter if I agree with with the way they want to structure the economy. It doesn't matter if I think they have great ideas. That's all wonderful. That's all fine and dandy. But my identity is not found in any of these political parties. My identity is not found in wealth. My identity is not found in sports. My identity is not found in any of these things I may be a part of. My identity is found in Christ. But when I forget that, when I lose my way, when I lose my identity, when I just become another nameless, faceless person in a crowd stuck in a, in a man-made demographic, and I lose that identity, we fall into the category Paul is writing about in Ephesians 4, where he says, we'll be tossed to and fro on every wind of doctrine. When people allow themselves to begin to identify with worldly things, when they identify more with worldly demographics, that's when you begin to lose your way. When you can be swayed by by somebody on either political side, they can totally sway the way you view uh, anything because now you've lost your way. You have no vision. You have no identity of who you really are, and you're now being tossed to and fro on every wind of doctrine. And when we lose our identity in Christ— when we forget that my identity is only found in him, when we lose that identity and we find our identity in a crowd rather than Christ, we can forget that we're supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. And when we lose our identity in Christ, we begin to identify more with the things of this world. And when we identify more with worldly things, We begin to allow worldly influences to dictate the way we think, the way we believe, what we find important, and what we should pursue. And instead of pursuing Jesus Christ and the things of his kingdom, we fall into the zombified trap where all I'm able to do is mindlessly follow worldly pleasures, trudging along from indulgence to indulgence. And I I know this isn't just an American or a Western culture issue. This is a humanity issue. Everyone, no matter what culture you're in, at some point will lose your way. And you'll begin to pursue things of the flesh more than you're pursuing things of the spirit. It's a battle we all fight every single day. But I can only speak from the perspective of an American because I'm an American. And I thank God that I'm an American. I thank God that he allowed me the opportunity to be born in this wonderful country, to have the freedom and the privileges that I have. I'm I'm very, very grateful for that. However, there is something called the American dream that that goes counterculture to what God says. The American dream saying if you work hard enough, if you if you grind, you can make money. And if you make money, you can have that nice house with the white picket fence, the two-car garage, the basketball court in the front, and the lemonade stand on the street. But you need to work really, really, really hard. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps, make you money. Money equals happiness and power, and that's how you'll be satisfied. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Jesus says, don't give any thought about what you're going to eat or how you're going to make money. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. I'm not saying that when you lose your identity in Christ and you only begin to pursue worldly things, I'm not saying that you're like out there, you know, uh, doing drugs and drinking and cussing and fornicating. 
I'm saying that if you lose your way, you can find yourself falling into the trap where you're mindlessly pursuing what the world tells you is important. Things like money, things like success, things like materialism. And this is what you have to be very careful of. Because what's interesting about a zombie is that no matter how much they feed their physical need, they're never actually satisfied. So they lose their identity. They lose everything that makes them them. And all they can now do is follow after what their flesh desires. That's it. They cannot think. They have no consciousness. All they do is follow from indulgence to indulgence, from fleshly desire to fleshly desire. All they can pursue is fleshly things, yet they're never satisfied. And we as as children of God can sometimes do that too, where we lose our identity. We forget that everything in my life should be centered on the word of God. So now I find myself pursuing fleshly indulgence to fleshly indulgence. All I'm doing is pursuing education. All I'm doing is pursuing money. All I'm doing is pursuing a relationship. All I'm doing is pursuing being quote unquote happy. And before we know it, we're not pursuing godly things. We're not putting godly things first. We're pursuing all these worldly things first, but we never find ourselves satisfied. We finally get $100, now we want 1000 We finally get $1,000, now we want 10000 We finally get $10,000, now we want 100000 We finally get 100000 now we want a million. We're never satisfied, but how can you be? Because it's Jesus who tells us, it's not those who hunger and thirst after a worldly pleasure that will find fulfillment. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 and 6, he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be fulfilled. When you're spiritually zombified and you're losing your, your, your spiritual identity, you don't have a desire to pursue righteousness. You put righteousness on the back burner and now your only desire is to appease your fleshly nature. And that's an incredibly dangerous place to be because now you'll be mobile, but you'll still be dead. You'll go to prayer meeting. You'll go to Wednesday service. You'll go to Sunday morning life class. You'll go to Sunday morning service and then you'll do it all again the very next week. And you may do this for weeks, maybe even months before coming to the realization that you've been going to church, but you haven't been the church. You've been in the presence of God, but you haven't had an experience with God. You'll be moving from place to place, activity to activity, maybe even ministry opportunity to ministry opportunity, physically moving, but you're spiritually dead. Because you can be active in the church, but be dead in your spirit. And never mistake being used of God with being in communion with God. Never confuse God's activation through you with his validation of you. And we see a good example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is first giving instruction about the way the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to operate in the church. And it was evident in Paul's writing that the gifts of the Spirit were already operating within the church uh, of Corinth. But the interesting thing about this this first uh, Corinthians is what Paul decided to cover prior to touching on the gifts of the Spirit. Let me show you what Paul actually wrote about to the church in Corinth. Before he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, these are the things Paul felt the need to address. Division within the church, twice. Sexual immorality in the church. Suing other believers. Fleeing from sexual immorality. Offering up worship to idols. He then writes an entire chapter about condemning idol worship. And then he feels the need to remind them that, hey guys, every single thing that you do should be about God. So this is the type of nonsense 
that, that Paul felt he needed to address with the church in Corinth. Division, sexual immorality, offering up worship to idols, um, pride, all of these things. And while all of these things are happening, while there's division, sexual immorality, worship to idols, pride, the gifts of the Spirit were in operation. Just because the gifts of the Spirit were operating doesn't mean God was accepting their lifestyle. Because we read in Ephesians 4, it tells us that the gifts are given to edify the body of Christ. They're not meant for the validation of individuals. Matthew 7 is where Jesus lets us know that not everyone who appears doing the work of God has a relationship with God. They'll plead their case saying, Jesus, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I I did mighty works in your name. But Jesus will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. You are a worker of iniquity. And that's wild to us. Because if someone we knew was doing all of these things, if someone we knew was casting out demons and doing mighty works and baptizing in Jesus' name, casting out demons, prophesying, doing all of these crazy things, we'd assume they were as spiritual as anyone could ever be. But notice the common denominator in all of these phrases. We cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did mighty works in your name. Jesus will use individuals to operate for his namesake, not for their namesake. Because not everyone in the church who is being used of God is necessarily living a life that God approves of. But God using you is not validation of you. It's for the edification of his body. And so you can be working for God. You can be on the praise team. You can be running media. You can be running sound. You can be an usher. You could be preaching, but not be godly. And God can still use you because it's not for your validation. It's for the edification of his body. And Paul warns us about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he says there'll be people claiming to be Christians They'll desire a form of godliness or being godly, but they'll deny the power of being godly. This word power in the Greek, it's different than the word we see in in Acts where it says you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That's a doing power. That's deutimous power. This word power in the Greek actually means meaning or authority. So it's kind of the type of uh, power you see found in a ruler or a king or an officer, right? Like the president has power to do something. The king has power to do something. So what Paul is saying is that there will be people who want to seem godly, but they don't want to accept that there is a greater authority that they must subject themselves to. They desire to have the appearance of godliness, but they don't want to submit to what it truly means to be godly. And don't fall into this trap where you lose your identity, you now lose your pursuit of righteousness and you're only pursuing carnal things, and now you find yourself moving, but you're dead. Don't fall into that trap. Don't seek the hands of God more than you seek the face of God. Don't seek being used of God more than you seek being in relationship and communion with God. And this is really important because those who find themselves slipping into this spiritually dry, repetitive, zombified state, they run the risk of validating their own spiritual shortcomings with how much they do for the church or how much God uses them. But the fact is they're moving and they're doing, but they're dead. They'll try to validate bad behavior. They'll try to validate spiritual shortcomings by saying, well, look at all the 
Look at all the ways I'm involved in the church. Look at all the, the money I give to the church. Look at, I preach or I teach or I run sound or I run media or I'm on the praise team. I'm at the church four times a week. Look, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, but they're dead. They're moving, but they're dead. And it's because they've lost their identity in Christ and they've begun to pursue the things of this world more than they pursue the things of God's kingdom. And now they're involved. They're moving, but they're dead. And this zombified way of living for God where you don't find your identity in Christ, but you find it in the world, you, you lose your sense of spiritual consciousness where you're pursuing the desires of your flesh more than the desires of your spirit. This, this zombified state where you're moving, you're operating, you're involved, but you're dead eventually will lead you to complete spiritual decay. Because you can never hit the pause button on where you are spiritually ever. If you allow yourself to fall into this trap of lackadaisical, zombified spirituality, you will eventually completely decay. Romans 8 and 7 tells us, Because a carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. Another translation says, When you have a carnal mind, it makes you hostile towards God. You cannot follow the law of God because your flesh cannot be subject to the law of God. It is hostile towards godly things. You can only live Sunday to Sunday identifying with the world, pursuing carnal uh, uh, nature and desires uh, first. You can only do that for so long. You can only come to church but not be the church for so long. You can only be involved in the kingdom but not be of the kingdom. You can only do that so long before you get to a point where you completely decay. And not only do you not have a desire for righteous things, you'll become hostile towards righteous things. Not only will you become lackadaisical towards things of the spirit, you will eventually grow hostile because that's what the word says. You can only have a carnal mind for so long before God will become your enemy. And look at zombies. We're making the comparison to zombies. Look at what, what happens with zombies. It doesn't matter if it's a, a, a pastor or a preacher or the greatest person to ever live, a, a philanthropist, a mother, a father, a grandfather, it doesn't matter who it is. When they become a zombie, everything they used to love, they now become hostile towards. It doesn't matter if it's their own children, they will grow hostile because they are now a zombie. They are now decaying. And it's the same way in your spirit. When you allow yourself to lose your identity, when you no longer pursue the, the things of the kingdom, but you pursue the things of this world as your primary objective, and when you get to the state where you're moving, but you're not alive, eventually, it doesn't matter how great uh, of the relationships that you have. It doesn't matter how much God uses you. It doesn't matter how involved you are in the church. It doesn't matter how great of a person you are. Eventually, your spirit will decay to such a point where you will become hostile towards the things of God. And you will totally fall away. I've seen it happen so many times where someone who's on fire for God becomes lackadaisical and their spirit becomes zombified. And it's only a matter of time where they're not neutral about the things of God, but they're hostile towards the things of God. And the reason it's that way is because the Bible tells us it's that way. A carnal mind is enmity against God. You always be decaying. If you're not improving, you are decaying. And unfortunately, I don't have a solution to this COVID-19 situation. I pray for those that are working on it. I pray that they come to a solution. But I do have a solution for you if you find yourself in a spiritual rut. If you find yourself getting dangerously close to spiritual zombification. I do have an answer for that. It's found in Romans 8, 
verse 4 through 13, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to live after the flesh. But if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. Paul's saying we're debtors, we're in debt, but we're not in debt to our flesh. Therefore, we don't live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you want to live, if you want to live, if you want to be everything that God is wanting you to be, you must be of the spirit in everything that you do. You must find your identity in the spirit. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You must allow your consciousness, you must allow your pursuits, your priorities, the things that you desire to be of the Spirit. First Timothy 6 and 11, but thou, O man of God, thou, O movement students, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. You don't need to just move living from Sunday to Sunday, but you must be made alive. You must not pursue the work of God, but you must pursue being in communion with God. Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And when you refocus your attention on Jesus, when you refocus your attention on pleasing him, when you focus on, on pursuing God things and not only working but being alive in kingdom things you will not only break free of this life of spiritual zombification but you will actually bring forth spiritual life and you will flourish in ways you never thought possible in galatians 6 and 8 for he that soweth in the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that soweth of the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life I believe the enemy is giddy with excitement and anticipation about the season the church finds itself in. It seems like the perfect opportunity to begin to spark division, confusion, and frustration. But Jesus said that he makes all things work together for good when we're living a life called according to his purpose. You know, ironically enough, the best thing you can do during a zombie apocalypse is isolate yourself and be alone. When's the last time you were alone with Jesus? When's the last time you interceded, you worshiped, you lifted up your voice in praise, you cried out to God alone, just you and Jesus? I want to challenge you this week to find time in this season of separation to break free of the dependence on a physical building, lights, media, music teams, and all the other wonderful things we have at church and begin being dependent on just Jesus.
You feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're in a rut. Maybe you feel like you're on the path of being totally zombified spiritually. You feel like the enemy is is trying to use this time to break you. Take time this week when you're alone to be with Jesus and let him remind you of where your identity is found. Let him speak to you about what he desires for you to pursue. Let God speak to you about your priorities. Let God begin to focus your mind on not only moving, but living for him and be totally open in your spirit to letting God lift you back to life and use you exactly how he wants to use you. Don't lose your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. Don't mindlessly pursue the same thing everyone else is pursuing. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Don't allow yourself to fall into the trap where you're moving, but you're not alive. You're involved, but you're not, you're, you're involved in the kingdom, but you're not of the kingdom. And don't allow yourself to just decay and get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Don't allow that carnal mind to make you hostile towards the things of God. Let God bring your spirit back to life. And you can do that even though the situation is weird, even though the situation is difficult, even though we're in a season of isolation, God can use the season of isolation and birth incredible, incredible things in your life. I love you guys. I want you to stay safe. I want you to stay healthy. Um, I want you to stay focused on the things of the kingdom. I know this is a weird situation, but during this season of isolation, I challenge you to continue to grow your spirit and let God do some unique new things in you through this time. If you're not following us on Instagram, go ahead and follow us. It's all one word, The Movement Students. You can also like our page on Facebook, The Movement Students, and stay up to date and stay connected. I love you guys, and I'll see you next time on The Movement Podcast.